0: with this great letter that we've been in for the last many weeks, uh, this letter to the Colossian Church. Uh, We have just today and then next Sunday, and then we'll begin our Advent journey toward Christmas. I I thought I would hear a a cheer from the Christmas section over here. Uh, Over these past few weeks, we've focused on uh, how being in Christ, remember that's, that's this recurring theme all the way through, how being in Christ should affect our relationships in our church family, how it should uh, affect our individual families. Last week we looked at how it affects our, our work relationships. And this morning Paul and Timothy uh, turned their attention uh, to our relationships with people uh, who have not made that transition Into faith in Jesus, Um, and and I want to say this: If you're here this morning, or if if you're watching online, and that describes you, you're you're a person who hasn't yet decided if you really want to follow Jesus. I just want you to know I am so glad that you are here, and I want to say please keep coming, keep asking the questions, keep listening as I talk about who Jesus is and, and, and why he's worth following, um, keep considering his invitation to come follow me, even, even on mornings like this morning when what I have to say is pretty focused on those who already believe in Jesus. I, I just I want you to know it's good for you to be here. So I wanted to, wanted to say that. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 4. Looking at verses 2 through 6, that's on page 951 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. And just before we look at this uh, passage together, let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Lord, again, we are grateful to be here uh, together this morning. uh, And we uh, want to pray for uh, those from our church who aren't with us this morning, whether um, because they're ill or just other circumstances that prevented them from being here this morning. We want to pray for our middle school students who very soon will be uh, making the journey home. Uh, We thank you that that you've given them a good weekend. We pray that uh, what they have experienced with their friends and what they have experienced with you would be lasting that many of them would look back to this weekend as as that time when they decided i 'm going to follow jesus and i 'm going to be serious about it, so we pray that you 'd give them a safe trip home lord we we pray for these two hundred plus boxes that are here um, and we just I just want to pray over I, I wish I could pray over every single one, but just collectively lord we we pray over these you know. Exactly. Already, you know where each and every one of these boxes is going to go. And Lord, we pray that you would just direct the box to the, to the child that it will most impact. And we pray for that child who receives it. And we pray, Lord, that they would understand how much you love them and that they would put their trust in you, and that as this organization does so well, they would be discipled and, and grow in their relationship with you. And, and we pray, Lord, that some of these children would be future leaders of your church in these various places around the world. It's an incredible thing that can happen through this simple little act that we do. So we pray for that. And then, Lord, we pray as we open our Bibles today, and we pray that we would hear you speak to us. Everyone in this room, Lord, I pray you would speak to them, whether they know you or not, that they'd hear from you. And they'd know somehow that they've heard from the living God, not not just from me, but they've heard God speak in their lives. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Sorry for that long prayer this morning. but. I am going to begin by reading through these five verses that we're looking at this morning and then we'll sort of zoom in and and look at the specifics of what's being said in each of them. Uh, So again, Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 2, Paul and Timothy say, "'Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us too that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may make it known as I should. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. I don't know how many of you remember... uh, nine weeks ago when we uh, began this series. But Paul and Timothy began this letter by saying that they were praying for the Colossians. And, and now as we come to the end of the letter, we're, we're, we're winding down, they ask the Colossians to pray for them. Verse two, devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. We know that being devoted to prayer was one of the early marks uh, of of the the first century church. We saw this when we went through the book of Acts together last year. Acts 2.42 tells us that those first believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. They devoted themselves to fellowship with one another and they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, the the Greek word under this word devote, it's it's not really surprising. Maybe it adds a little understanding. It, It means to continually press on towards something with strength that prevails even when it's hard. How many of you know that prayer is hard? My hand is up because I think prayer is hard, Okay? I really do. I know it comes pretty easy for a lot of people. Some of you just aren't being honest. That's why you didn't raise your hand. I, I, was, I was praying for Spud and Leona this week. And as I was praying, my mind went to when they used to own the hardware store. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking of something I have to get at the hardware store supposed to get bird seed. We used two different kinds. We were out of one. Which, which was the one that we were out of and how much was I supposed to get? And, oh yeah, I'm praying for Spud and Leona. My mind just squirrel, right? That's me when I pray. Prayer is hard work, but it's good work. It's important work. And we need to stay at it. We need to devote ourselves to it. We stay at it in a couple of specific ways. Paul says, be alert and uh, uh, have an attitude of thanksgiving. Being alert literally means watching with, with eyes open, uh, aware of what's going on. Right When we're little, we're, we're taught to pray with our eyes closed and, and fold our Hands, which is, is fine if that helps you uh, not get distracted. It doesn't help me much. My mind still goes... But Paul tells the Colossians to pray with eyes wide open, eyes that see what's going on. What's going on where? Well, what's, what's going on in our world, right? Plenty of things to be aware of that we need to pray for. What's going on in people's lives? that we need to be aware of, that we need to be praying for. So being devoted in prayer means staying alert. It, it, it's also anchored, Paul says, in this heart attitude of thankfulness or gratitude. This is the sixth time that Paul, uh, in this letter, it's the sixth time that Paul has told them to be thankful or do something uh, from an from a attitude that is full of, of thankfulness. Thankful for what? Well, I mean the first thing that came to my mind as we're as we're talking about prayer is thankfulness that we know a God who is not only powerful enough to change circumstances, but we have a God who actually cares. That's unique. In many other religions, people pray to a God who is powerless but they believe he really cares. He's not a real God, obviously. Or they pray to a powerful, angry God who doesn't really want to be bothered with people. And that's not us. Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. We don't have a high priest who's incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way That we have, and and yet he was without sin. And so Paul says, therefore, let us boldly or confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. Does that make you thankful? Really? We can be thankful that in Christ we have direct access to the living God who created everything we can see. And as Paul has already told us in this letter, everything we can't see, right? We can be thankful for that, are we? I heard about a person this week who, when they wake up in the morning, they start praying. First thing they do, they, they, they start praying. And when they come to the end of that prayer, they don't say amen. Why? Because they understand that they are to be continually devoted to prayer with eyes wide open, to the world around them, and and with hearts that are full of thanksgiving. So this person's prayer begins in the morning, and it continues all the way through the day. So when one of their co-workers is having a, a tough day, they pray for them. When they pass a crash on the highway, they pray for the people involved in that, for the families of the people involved in that crash. When they pull into their driveway at night, and they see a house standing with a roof on it. They thank God because they know that a lot of people don't have that. We know there's a a family in our church right now who lost the the dwellings that they were in and and the community is is rallying around. But we should be grateful. Heart's full of thanksgiving. It's it's only when their head hits the pillow this person that, that I heard about this week It's only when their head hits the pillow and they say that final prayer of the day that they say, Amen. You see, they've they've been praying all the way through the day. Paul uh, has something more specific in mind. That's a good way to pray in general. He shares a personal prayer request with the Colossian Christians. Verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray for us too, that God may open a door for the message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may make it known as I should. While you are praying, while you are being devoted to this, Paul says, pray for us too. He started the letter by letting the Colossians know that he was praying for them or that he and Timothy... And probably Epiphras, we're we're all praying for them, and now he says, "Pray for me too and the first thing that Paul asks them to pray for is open doors open doors what does that mean? Uh, there were times that God opened prison doors for believers in the in the early church um, but I don't think Paul's asking to be freed from prison here. I think Paul's asking the Colossians to join him in praying for opportunities to share the message about Jesus within these prison walls. That that same message about Jesus that had put him in prison in the first place. And we're not positive, but since Paul probably wrote this letter from the same prison he wrote Philippians from, it's reasonable to think that this prayer was answered in his letter to the Philippians. Uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 14. He says, Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what has happened to me, what has happened, he's ended up in prison, what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advance of the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is in the cause of Christ. Most of the believers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. I I was thinking about how often in our lives we pray for release from whatever prison we find ourselves in instead of looking for open doors for the gospel that may come as a result of being in that prison. What do I mean by that? Uh, Becky and I had dinner with Buzz and Barb the other night, and and Buzz was talking about all of the opportunities uh, for evangelism and for discipleship that have come from the imprisonment uh, that his body uh, has been in since his fall. One of his caregivers gave her life to Christ. Um... Because of spending time with Buzz. Now, I'm sure Buzz would love to be freed from this prison, be able to hike the mountains again and enjoy the outdoors like that. I didn't ask him this directly, but I'm not sure he would trade that for the opportunities that he's had. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, if we could all have that kind of outlook on difficult situations we find ourselves in, sharing the good news about Jesus begins with praying for open doors. Then Paul gets a little more specific in his request. He asks them to pray that he would make the message about Christ known, or uh, some translations say, make it clear. And this almost seems like a strange request uh, coming from Paul, right? Uh, Arguably the best theologian of the day in regards to the message about Christ. I mean, Paul wrote volumes about this. Does he really not feel confident in his ability? Does he not really feel like he doesn't understand the gospel? I don't think that's what's going on. The Greek word underneath, make it known or make it clear, is a word that means to shine light on or or to put something out in open view. Maybe I'm oversimplifying this, but I I think it's kind of like the old children's song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. As Paul says, as I should, right? So I don't think Paul's asking the Colossians to pray that he'd become better equipped to share the gospel, which is an excuse I hear all the time from people. I just don't know enough to share my faith. That's not what Paul's asking for. Paul's asking them to pray that he just put it out there in plain view as he should. And then Paul turns from a prayer request to instruction. He moves from asking the Colossians to pray for his own evangelistic opportunities to telling the Colossians and us, I believe, how we should be sharing the good news about Jesus. Verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunities. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer everyone. Now, there's a couple of things that sort of jump out at me in these verses, and the, and the first is this. It's, it's so obvious that maybe we go past it. We are expected to be in relationship with outsiders. That's sort of a base expectation that he has here. That we are in relationship with people who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. The church was never intended to be a place for Christians to sort of live in this monastic, secluded life, safe from the outside world. If we aren't rubbing shoulders with people who need to know about Jesus, how are they ever going to know about him? Right? So what does that mean? Given what Paul has already said about making the message about Jesus clear or or letting our light shine, we know, I think, that this doesn't mean we act just like the world, but we cannot make the gospel clear to people who need Jesus if we refuse to even be around them. So I think one of the first things we have to ask ourselves here is, do I even know any non-Christians? Because I, I can't do what, what Paul is asking me to do if I'm not even around any. Paul says that we're to engage with these outsiders with wisdom and, and to make the most of every opportunity. You know, that there are opportunities that are only served up once. Some opportunities we get again and again and again, but some opportunities, they only come once. And when those opportunities present themselves, when when that door opens, we can step through it or we can say, not today. And saying, not today may mean that we have lost that opportunity forever. And some of those opportunities become opportunities for the gospel. I think I've shared with you all before that while I was in seminary, I uh, worked at the spaghetti factory. At that time, uh, there was only one in Portland, the original one that all of the others came out of. It was down on Third and Pine. And I think uh, it may have even been my very first shift. It It was within that first week, anyway. One of my coworkers came up to me and he introduced himself as Jeff and then he asked me if I was wearing black socks. And my immediate answer was yes. Cuz that was the dress code. If if you didn't have black socks on, you didn't get to work your shift. So I I didn't know this guy, maybe it's some sort of a trick, you know, and if I say, "Well, no, I'm I've got tan socks on tonight." <laughs> I'm out, right? So I said yes. His next question threw me off, though. He asked if he could buy them from me. Now, if, if I sell Jeff my socks, I don't get to work that night, right? So that's a problem. And I'm, I'm looking at this guy like he's kind of nuts, and he it gets worse cuz he says actually i only need the top 3 inches <laughs> who is this nut job right well the the story goes that, that jeff had been in a hurry to to get to work that night and he didn't change into black socks and jeff knew that if he didn't at least appear to have black socks on he'd be sent home and he really needed the, the, the money from his shift that night. And he reasoned out that if he could just buy the top three inches of sock, black sock, off of some poor fool, he, he could slip those over his white socks and sort of hide the fact that he didn't have black socks on. This idea was just crazy enough that I said, sure. <laughs> so we went into the back room. I took my shoes off, took my socks off. We cut off the top three inches. He got them on, and, you know, I gave him, yeah, it looks good. They look like, it looks like you got black socks on, and we both got to work our shifts that night. More importantly, that weird encounter uh, was the beginning of a, what became a lifetime friendship uh, with Jeff. Uh, Jeff became one of my very best friends until cancer took him about 10 years ago. But even more important than our friendship was the fact that Jeff was an atheist. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. But our friendship led us into long conversations about Jesus. And eventually... Jeff became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And I have to ask myself, what would have happened if I hadn't stepped through that crazy door when he asked me if he could buy the top three inches? I don't know. I don't know if we would have become friends. It was just crazy enough that it it just sort of pulled us together, you know? And if we hadn't have become friends, was there someone else that was going to tell Jeff about Jesus? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe but maybe not, you know? Uh, here's another quick story. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but people finding out that you are a, a pastor is one of the quickest ways to be excluded from neighborhood block parties. <laughs> it, it shuts down conversations quicker than, than anything. Uh, in one of our neighborhoods, uh, Becky became known as the P.W., the preacher's wife. Um, and it was, it was a code word for pull the blinds, you know. Watch out. Here comes the PW. You know, stay away. But after a while, crisis hit in some of the homes in our neighborhood. And you know, eventually, everyone, all of us, have a crisis that hits happens to all of us. But, but when it did, guess who they came to for prayer? The PW. Some of those people eventually became Christians. When we moved away from that neighborhood, one of the guys who hadn't spoken a word to me while we lived there flagged me down last trip uh, of, in, the, in the moving truck and with tears in his eyes, he said, I'm really going to miss you guys. Your best thing that ever happened to this neighborhood. Why would he say that? Well, our daughter had become their babysitter. And she had taken the light of Jesus into their home. We stepped, stepped through an open door. I'm going to tell one more on you, Honey. Becky used to sell books, uh, used books, through Amazon. Uh, and, and at its peak, she was mailing 40, 60, I think even 80 or more books a day uh, at the post office. And so she got to know the ladies at the post office that was inside our thriftway. Um, and, and one day, they asked her what her husband did for work. Right? but like happens with everyone eventually crisis hit in one of those ladies lives and uh, her coworker asked if we would pray with her right there at the post office in thriftway and so we did that lady became a christian then her husband became a christian we got him his first bible I like to tell those stories because Becky isn't this outgoing evangelist, right? She's not. That ain't her. But here's what she can do. She can can just be there when those open doors come and then step into them, right? That's all it takes. Any opportunity can be an opportunity for the gospel, whether it's standing in the post office or selling the top three inches off of your socks. Um, just being there to be Jesus to the people around us is, is really all it takes. Well, let's, let's move on. Verse 6, Paul gives uh, a couple more instructions to how we are to behave with outsiders. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer Everyone. Um, Bible scholar David Garland says, the experience of grace should make us gracious. Let that sit for just a moment. The experience of grace should make us gracious. We do well to remember what it was like when we were formerly estranged from God. What was it we needed to hear? What was it that, that touched our hearts? It would help our approach, he says, if we look at those we consider to be poor, miserable sinners in the same way we imagine that Christ looked at us when we were once lost in the darkness of our own sin. He says that the key to the kind of evangelism Paul is talking about here is to season our witness with liberal doses of the virtues spelled out in chapter 3. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, love, wisdom, thanksgiving. Are we preaching at people? Or are we showing them just how Jesus has transformed our lives? Paul says uh, that we should season our speech with salt. He does not mean by this that we should swear like sailors. Okay? That's not uh, what he means. Uh, Some of the translations uh, say it really well. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive. Are we making Jesus attractive? Is Is it like that first bite of whatever your favorite... Food is that you say, Hmm, I want some more of that when unbelievers are around us, do they say i, I don 't understand what it is, but I want to be around them more. I want some more of that. I want some more of Jesus. Uh, Matt Nicoelos has written several books, one that that I really love is called Good News for a Change." And in it, Matt says, we should be asking ourselves, what would be good news to the person I'm sharing with? What would be good news to the person I'm sharing with? And that question means that we have to know something about that person's story, right? We have to learn about them and the things that make them feel most broken. And then, so often, we can tell them, how Jesus actually addresses that particular brokenness. We make Jesus attractive, specifically attractive to that need they are expressing. So that's that's the five verses that we're looking at uh, today. Let me me see if I can come up with a couple of takeaways for us. Uh, Overall, these five verses are about how to take the message about Jesus to other people, right? If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, the only takeaway I have for you this morning is the same thing that I say all the time. Jesus is the very best thing that's ever, ever happened to me. And uh, if you don't know him, I just want to say your life could be, so much better. Uh, not that I would think it's better, but you would think it's better. Right? It's not a judging kind of... It's just... Jesus promises abundant life. And and he delivers on that promise. So that's, uh, that's the, maybe the first category of people that I'm giving a takeaway to. If you're here this morning and you have no interest in taking the message of Jesus to others, um, then you're probably actually in the first category. I want to suggest you don't really know him. Because to know him is to love him. And if you really love him, you're going to talk about him. I'm crazy about this girl I married over 40 years ago. I love talking about her. I love being with her. I want other people to know that. If I don't talk about her to other people, if I sort of keep that private, nobody even knows that I'm married... Kind of ridiculous, isn't it? You'd begin to question whether or not I really do. So if you have no interest in talking about Jesus, you're probably not even a Christian. And you should come talk to me after the service. Let's get that right. okay? And I'm not talking about fear here. We all have a certain level of fear about sharing Jesus with other people. I'm talking about the want to. Right? And so if you're here this morning and you know that you should be talking about Jesus because that's what Paul said, that I will make him known as I should. Paul felt an obligation to do this. He knew that he should do this. If that's you this morning, you know that you should do this and you genuinely want to do that in spite of whatever fears you may have. You want to do that. I have two takeaways, okay? First, you need to pray. Paul tells us how to pray continually with eyes wide open and hearts full of thanksgiving. And then he tells us what to pray for. He says, pray for open doors for the gospel. He specifically asks the Colossians to pray that for him. But I think we can reason out here that we should be praying for ourselves this way. We should pray for each other this way, that we would all this week have open doors for the gospel. I absolutely believe that if you will do that, begin each day, God, I don't know what you got for me today, but if you open a door, an opportunity, Holy Spirit, give me strength. I'm scared to death, but I'm going to pray this. If you give me an opportunity, I'm going to, I'm going to walk through it. Or that's going to require that you actually position yourself to be around non-Christians. It's not that hard to do. Most of us live in neighborhoods where there are non-Christians. We work with people who don't know Jesus. We go to school, maybe, with people who don't know Jesus. If you don't, you can get creative. Ask God to show you how to connect with some non-Christians. Maybe it's a hobby you have a club you join. I'm pretty sure that's a prayer God would love to answer. So the first takeaway is pray for open doors. Second takeaway, when God serves up those opportunities, when he, when he opens a door, step through it. Gulp. I know that's where some of you are, right? Uh. That open door might be at work, the store, neighborhood, neighborhood. Convince God is opening doors all the time. That's just how he is. And when we step through those open doors, Paul gives us some guidance on what we should do. He says we should make the message of Jesus known or clear by how we conduct ourselves with with wisdom and and making the most of the opportunity and how we speak. Words that are full of grace, that, that, that are seasoned with salt, that make... Jesus attractive. Friends, how we conduct ourselves and how we speak is way more important than having a doctor of theology degree that allows you to wax eloquently and probably boringly about Christology and soteriology and eschatology and all the other ologies that most people don't understand or care about you realize that the first evangelists in the bible were simple fishermen one brother saying to another come and see we have found messiah come and see for yourself or the woman at the well who ran back to town and said, come and see a man who knows everything I've done. I don't know if you've ever thought about that story before. Do you remember what Jesus said about her marital status? Been married five times and the guy you're with right now is not your husband? Half the guys in the town had been with this woman and she's saying, come meet a guy who tells me everything I've ever done. But they did. They did. And the Bible says that most of the town followed him that day. Really, all you have to do to share the gospel with other people is tell them what a difference Jesus has made in your life. What has he done for you? And again, I've said this before, if you can't think of anything, Maybe you don 't know him, maybe you haven 't really been transformed by him. OK, so, so lastly, I just I want to recommend a couple of books that, that I think may be uh, helpful to you if you want to grow in your ability to share the good news about Jesus. There's so many uh, out there uh, that give examples and, and strategies for how to do this. Um, here are three uh, that I've found helpful and inspiring. Most of you know Matt Michelados. He, he served as our interim youth pastor a couple of years ago. His book, Good News for a Change, is full of examples. It's kind of a wacky cover. But it's full of examples of how Matt, and they're not hypotheticals, they're real examples of how Matt has been able to share Christ with people just from getting to hear their stories and then talk about what would be good news to them, right? Another great book is the middle one, and, and you, you probably can't even see the title. It's an awful cover. Uh, it's called Speaking of Jesus, and the subtitle is The Art of Not Evangelism. So that may, this may be a perfect book for some of you. Carl Medeiros, M-E-D-E-A-R-I-S, Carl Medeiros. His book is full of examples of of how to simply talk about Jesus with people. He's done that in the U.S., he's done it in the Middle East, working with Muslims. It's it's remarkable to to read these stories. And then lastly, a book I read years ago, and I I try to reread it every couple of years Because it's one of the best books on evangelism I've ever read. And it's Brian McLaren's book, More Ready Than You Realize. And Brian, uh, I I believe, will help you to see that you already have all the tools you need. You don't got to go to seminary for this. You don't have to take a class for this. You already have what you need to just talk about Jesus with people. But here's the thing. No book is going to help you if you're not willing to pray for open doors and then step through them. That's where we have to start. So I just, I want to ask you all together, can we start there? Can we, can we start praying for one another? Can we follow this model of Paul and Timothy with the Colossians? I'll pray for you. You pray for me. We'll pray for each other for open doors and, and then for courage to, to step through those open doors and just talk about Jesus, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, I believe that probably most of the people in the room this morning feel like, yeah, I should do that. And most of them even feel like I want to, but I'm, I'm scared. I don't know where to start. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray for everyone here, everyone watching. I, I pray the way Paul prayed, that you would open doors for them and that, that they would have eyes wide open and, and recognize, oh, this is an open door. And then they'd step through it. And, and, and they'd, they'd put their life with Jesus out there in plain view and talk about him. And that their words would be oh, full of grace. Not condemnation, full of grace. People who have received grace are gracious people. And that their words would make Jesus attractive. And Lord, I pray, I pray for our, for our county, for our community. I pray, Lord, that, that because we are doing this, we are obedient to you, that many will hear about Jesus and say, I want to follow him too. I don't care where they go to church. It'd be great if they came here, but I just want them to know you. Lord, would you do that through us? Please, in Jesus' name, amen.